This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high achieving B2B marketers to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplat, let's meet today's hero. Senior Vice President of Marketing at Alea Care, Ben Lazar, a seasoned and results-driven demand and revenue generation leader with wide-ranging technology experience and healthcare SaaS, AI-informed operations, reimbursement platforms, and sales team effectiveness. He brings an impressive track record of helping companies such as Balto AI, NetHealth, and Payspan achieve beyond best-in-class revenue growth and valuation improvement. Ben is a frequent blood donor and volunteer. This is a show, this is a podcast about marketing heroes, which is why you're here. Thank you, Ben Lazar. Not sure I qualify, but I'll do my best. Stop, stop, stop. We've we've seen your work. We're following (laughs) along. We disagree wholeheartedly. So enough of that. We like to start off by asking you, how do you start your day? I think a lot, and similarly to many other people, I pick up my phone and I make sure that nothing has fallen through the ceiling. And then uh, from there, I, I kind of assume my normal responsibilities. I do my kind of morning morning rally and checks, both digitally before getting online, and then start doing some check-ins with uh, with my key leadership on very specific and critical initiatives. Really, you know, going to the top of the list of the most important things, you know, varying depending upon um, what's taking place, whether it's a product launch or if we're working on some strategic messaging or rebranding or, you know, just something as simple as launching a a critical webinar in that given day. Being that this is a, a podcast about heroes, we like to ask our guests for their origin story. Can you give us a little bit of background on how you got to where you are? Yeah, I have a. I think I have a relatively interesting one, and one of of great fortune for myself. I landed after college, where I was both an IT and marketing major, so I was a dual major. And I started my career as a COBOL programmer, working in the manufacturing industry. And I got onto a project where we developed and deployed an application that allowed our dis- our global distribution network to dial up on 2,400 baud modems. And a lot of people don't know what those are. We do. <laughs> and do things, insane things like check stock and inventory and print invoices. And yeah, which back in 1990 really was a big deal. Very innovative. Yeah. And before the decade was over, I was running the EDI department. I ran online and also launched a vendor managed inventory program where we're managing the inventories, some of our largest distribution partners, global companies. And I was, I was, I was a young lad, but the origin story around that is, you know, that we achieved by that point in the late nineties, 70% of our business was done digitally, which was unheard of. But what that really impressed upon me was the power of digital and how digital was going to truly change the business environment and also our society. I had a, you know, a front seat to it all and was part of it. And when I started, I had no idea what was happening. I was doing a set of tasks and functions, but it took me years to see the true power of it through those projects and through the good fortune of, of having people mentor me through, through those things. So it was, uh, it was 
very eye-opening and led to a lot of uh, springboards for me in my career. That's great. So when you look back, this is, a, you set me up perfectly. When did it occur to you, and don't say that it hasn't, that you had arrived, that you were a marketing executive with something to say and stuff to get done? Well, I, I never look at arrivals. I always, you know, I'm really, I'm big on the journey because an arrival notes an ending. And uh, at some point that will be true for me, hopefully in the next seven to eight years. But I think there was a couple seminal moments in my career. So the one that I just described was definitely a journey and one that led to some very new learnings about how digital is going to change the world. The next one was when I was in running a VP of marketing, running a marketing team, and marketing automation did not exist at this point. Me and my team actually created a very crude marketing automation system, something of the likes of a HubSpot that you'd see or Marketo today. And we were doing high levels of personalization in campaigns in 2003 and four, which was also very new and innovative. And then all of a sudden, these things came out called marketing automation tools and immediately jumped on board that because I didn't want to build it. I just wanted to have the access to the capability. So that was another kind of big movement and understanding of how marketing automation and personalization is going to transform the digital world. And then the third big one was I did a huge rebranding project at a company called NetHealth, where we we're a compilation of a number of acquired companies. Up to that point in my career, I was much more of a project manager and a demand marketer and didn't really yet understand the power of B2B brand. And by helping the two companies come together and reformulating the brand and bringing out as a singular brand to market and seeing the massive digital growth and connection to the brand through uh, principled messaging, through media outreach, and really propagating the company's name and mission into the market and seeing how that actually created a transition from good outbound marketing to a very high level of inbound marketing, which is always the goal, right? You can fix things quickly with good outbound marketing, but the gift that keeps on giving and the best opportunities you can create are always inbound. But that takes more time to develop and to grow. The gift that keeps on giving. I got it. Yeah. That's a great one. It really is. And the other thing that I learned through that process that I have been able to kind of leverage in other environments is that the best brands are spoken through the success of their customer's voice. Amen. So how do you, how do you utilize it? Do you get testimonials? Do you do case studies? Do you ask them to present on your behalf? Do you do co-marketing with customers? What's the key there? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All that and a whole bunch more. So there's a 360 degree process, right? Where the first and most fundamental thing is understanding your ideal customer profile and your markets. And once you know your ICP and your markets, you've got to ensure that you have a nearly or very close to complete and continually curated database of all of those entities and all of the individuals inside of those entities. That is the beginning foundational layer because if you only have a small market picture, you could be the greatest marketer in the world, but the exposure and the potential conversion will be cauterized. So, you, you know, and I'm a data, I'm a content guy, I'm a database guy, I'm, I'm a, originally a COBOL programmer. So that kind of stuff is very natural to me. So the first thing I do whenever I work in, within an organization is 
understand do they have a complete market picture. Once you have a complete market picture and you continually curate that market picture, then you start to add in those outbound motions that are just really quick conversion opportunities by clearly messaging to the people who are potential buyers of your product and solution. That also happens both on the customer side to reduce churn and to maximize net dollar retention, which is really a critical SaaS metric, and also in your prospect base. And over time, what you do is you surround your prospect base through third-party sources like media and press. You make sure that you're physically present at events because that still accounts and it's still important in today's day and age. And how you present at events and the messaging at those events is critical. But what really is most critical about events is how you preload the activity in those events and message to people about what you're going to be there and why you're going to be there for them. So much marketing in the B2B world is done from within the organization, the message is brought to market versus understanding what the market message is and then clearly communicating your differentiation and why your organization and your technology platforms are going to be the accelerators of growth for them and future-proof their businesses. And then there's all kinds of other stuff, right? Nurture emails, direct outbound response emails. ABM, which is becoming a huge and critical motion for us right now. You know, social and what I would call response-based social, using social amplification. So most companies on social, they're distributing their message through a nice user base or, you know, a bunch of subscribers. But what I've always done is leverage the social platforms internally of the employees, used amplification tools. Those tools basically drive all of your social messages through your employees, given their approval. And their subscriber bases pay more attention to the individuals who are posting than to companies' messages because they trust individuals more than they do company messages. And then the other thing is the employee value there is our messages are strong, professional, and clear. So their brand, personal brands are improved by us sending our message. So it's a really win-win situation. And then there's all kinds of other like roadshows, direct market activities, and individual markets have their own individual paths that you have to leverage. You cannot have a standardized generic playbook. Currently, I'm in, you know, in the home care technology space. That space has some very specific paths to market that other industries don't. They have discrete and specific media sources. They have industry luminaries, people that follow other people in the same industry. And what you want to do is you want to connect with those folks, have them in your realm and in your sphere. You want them guest blogging and guest presenting at events, at webinars, and vice versa, so that your market presence and market coverage is such that people are hearing, hearing your company's name and positively predisposed to you before they speak to an individual. And at the end of the day, what does it come down to? It comes down to that person's digital experience with you because nobody talks to an individual in a company anymore until they've already fully understood or investigated that organization and that they see a potential fit. And that always happens in the educational phase of the buying cycle. It doesn't happen typically in the buying phase. 98% of the people that you'll encounter are going to be in the educational phase of a buying cycle. So what your job is to do is to give them a, a superior digital experience such that they feel already attached to you and feel that there is unique and differentiating value. And then when you, 
they convert, their experience in the conversion and the engagement cycle is world-class. And further, that cycle continues through the implementation and the standing up of the product. There should be a consistency of initial engagement all the way through their first engagement with the product and their renewal. True consistency, true brand performance. Yeah, I hear quality too, like at every step. Yeah, and you know, one thing I didn't really talk a lot about is how content is the fuel that drives that engine that I described. Content is led by thought leadership. So every organization, and this is simple and easy to say, but not commonly done well or at all, which is there are really very specific thought leadership topics in specific industries in given time periods, and that companies should be leveraging those in a principled way such that they're talking about how their technology platforms enhance or improve the big challenges that are faced within an industry. An example of one is in our industry, you know, in healthcare, people are being driven out of the hospitals because hospitals are very inefficient places to provide care. They're inefficient in their outcomes in general. People can be treated in the home more effectively. They're happier in the home and they can get treated at one-tenth of the cost for specific medical conditions that people used to sit in a hospital for, hating life and having poor outcomes, right? So that huge trend in government is going to help reduce massive budget deficits because in the U.S., what are the two biggest line items in our, in our budget? Social Security and Medicare. Those are the two biggest deficit drivers. If we can have a very significant impact on healthcare costs, but more importantly on the outcome, and these people are our parents, our brothers, our sisters, and soon us, right? <laughs> if we're so fortunate to live that long, which is when you're elderly, you're going to need care. And I know that my mother who is elderly, she wants to be treated in her home. She does not want to go to a hospital unless it's absolutely necessary. So we're working and we are leveraging that trend and building our technology and using AI tool sets to create higher levels of automation to make sure the right caregivers are providing the right care to the right patients at the right time. Ben, I want to have you come in and talk to my marketing crew and just say everything. I suppose I could just play them this podcast, but it's so crazy how everything that you said, it's it should be table stakes. And yet, even no, if mature Fortune 500 organizations, it's very tactical. It's sending the emails, do the nurture campaigns, but it's not that holistic marketing strategy that you spoke about. So I, I really appreciate the in-depth answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to make sure that this stuff is highly coordinated and highly connected. Personally, I'm a being in the B2B world, I feel it's far more important that the, the science and the chemistry of marketing is put forth long before the art. Now, if you're in a B2C world, the art of marketing is far more important. But in B2, the B2B world, we are marketing to a very finite and discrete set of companies in specific markets, which necessitate personalization to get high levels of conversion. Mm-hmm. Not selling candy bars or soda, where we're identifying demographics. We're identifying people inside of companies who do specific jobs. They're accountants, they're caregivers, they're clinicians, they're executives, right? And each yeah. one of those companies, each one of those markets, and each one of those specific entities, each one of those people needs different messages. I shouldn't speak to a care provider and a clinician the way I speak to a back office accountant or 
a CEO or executive level person. Mm -hmm. They're all going to respond to very different messages. And if you can get down to the level of personalization inside of those organizations and literally take the mentality of marketing to an individual person and having and gathering over time intelligence about that person and building your models around marketing to that one person and knowing what is going to make them most convert, that's when you will arrive. And I haven't quite gotten there yet, Leslie, but we're getting closer. <laughs> so yeah, I haven't arrived. <laughs> it's a big job at Alea Care. Yeah. There are a lot of disparate audience segments that you're working with. You're really surrounding the industry. If you would look back over your career, what are the three habits or decisions or events that put you on track to be where you are now with the knowledge and understanding to be able to do what you're doing now? So I'll give you the three and I'll kind of do them in reverse order. But this one took, took me the longest to figure out, which was investing and in growing the people is the most important thing. Because yes, it's altruistic, but it is, only, it is the only possible way to scale. Because if you have to spend and helicopter manage your employees and your staff, you're doing something wrong and the business will never scale. So that's the first thing. But it took me a long time to really, truly understand that. I used to think of people much more as machines of output. Uh, but I've figured out that by investing in people in their careers and their personal well-being and their financial well-being, even independent of the specific entity that I'm working for and they're working for, mm -hmm. and helping them prepare themselves not for their next job, but for the job after that. Mm. And to give them something that they will take away in their life, regardless of how long they stay with the company. But they usually end up staying longer anyway, if, they, right. if, you, if you really give yourself. So that's, that's the big one. Another big one for me is the organization of work and the interconnected nature of the enterprise. The most senior levels of positions, the majority of success happens not because, not because you come up with just a singular, really great idea. It's because you're connecting the people in the organization and the work that needs to get done. You're taking individuals who might be working in a specific functional area and you're creating an interconnected engine that focuses on maximum output and maximum quality. And that's just hard yards. And that's old school, talking to people, bringing them together. You know, there are some more modern tools, project management platforms that can help facilitate that. But it still takes a, the fundamental human management capabilities of bringing it all together into one functional engine. That's a, a, a key and critical aspect. And then the last one is, in today's world, hopefully you've been digitally thinking for 20 plus years because that's how everything is happening, how everything is taking place. And it's back to that point number two, which is digital and the interconnected nature of how enterprise function today. Whereas back in the old days and, you know, in my early days, I implemented SAP and SAP was this behemoth manufacturing piece of software. It took two and a half years. It was a very difficult and challenging thing fraught with, with lots of errors and things that never went right. And it was a singular system. But in today's world, we buy these huge things in small chunks. We buy services and we're going to increasingly buy smaller and smaller services. And we will be able to bind with these services in quicker fashions. There's going to be less friction. We're going to have, in, you know, for lack of a better term, bots 
in our lives that we will invoke when we need them to do a very specific job. The whole world of software is moving to that service-based mentality. And if you don't connect to everything and you cannot become an individual or a decomposed service to work with other services and other pieces, you're probably going to be considered a legacy. Got it. Think about the interfaces that are taking place now. And this has a huge impact on marketing because it has a big impact on how we talk to people, which is applications like marketing automation applications and a lot of other applications are now being responsive to what we call prompts, chat GPT. I've been using other AI tools or machine learning tools for five or six years now to generate content. But it's basically a small typewritten prompt or a spoken word, right? Which is things are becoming more utilitized. And the spoken word is going to become and have more capability to invoke those services that we need. Mm -hmm. There's going to be less type interface and there's going to be more, more spoken and more verbal interface. It's going to change how we have to market. For sure. It's a really good point. So you've, you've hit on a couple of things that people should be thinking about. Do you have advice for the next generation of marketers, digital leaders, coders, since that's your background? Yeah. So I work with some folks on the younger age register and they're brilliant. So I hear a lot of what I would call generalizations, which I think it's common for an older generation to always have its issues with younger generations. My experience has been vastly different, which has been that these people I'm interacting with now in the younger age register are extremely talented and intelligent, but they differ in some ways in that they want to be taught and given autonomy, whereas 30 years ago, things were far less autonomous. So what the common thread of the people who are successful, younger and older, still comes down to they are really good fundamental executors. They deliver against their job function and they do it with excellence and and they they get primary functions, work functions done efficiently. They're able to communicate them efficiently to other people and they're able to also have inputs to create higher scaled outputs. So they don't stand as an island. They connect with other people who have big influence or opportunities to influence their output, and they use that and they leverage that to create higher levels of output on their own. And at the end of the day, you just really kind of sometimes have to work hard at stuff. There's just really not a lot of a substitution. And I've seen some, some brilliant young folks uh, in the workforce right now who are doing amazing things. And they also bring really cool ideas. They think differently. They're educated differently. And I know a lot of people talk about less need for education. I would actually say there's more need for education it's just, it's delivering consumption is changing. Gotcha. That's great. So let's talk problems, Ben. Tell us about a big, hairy problem, either that you've recently handled in some way, or if there's a problem that you're facing that you'd like to crowdsource and have us mm-hmm. uh, push out and see what answers we could get back. Happy to do that too. Yeah, I've read that <laughs> notes and I, I, I really haven't really thought of, I'm sure there have been, but just not present of mind, tend to be uh, an overly positive person most of the time. So there's nothing I can say is like a big problem. Okay. What I can say is there are consistent challenges for people in marketing and marketing leadership. 
Sure, right? sure. I mean, we hear from clients bandwidth, what's working, what isn't, time to results, right? Maybe in that, the world of that. Bandwidth to me is a euphemism for bad process. <laughs> So, yeah, if you think you have a bandwidth problem, you might. Okay. But most of the time when people say we have bandwidth problems, you could probably look at process and say they have a really bad process. They're not doing things efficiently and well, and they're not leveraging tools. But if they are leveraging tools and have good process, then they actually truly might be out of bandwidth. So gut test it first. All right. Nine times out of 10, that's a euphemism for lack of process. Got it. Okay. I like that answer a lot. That is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's also a veneer go-to when someone can't solve a problem. Mm. I'm out mm-hmm. of bandwidth. Mm-hmm. I would advise anyone to make that a, a, a cause of last resort. Mm-hmm. Got it. Like All right. Fantastic. Any challenges that you want to talk about how you and your team have handled them to share with other marketers to follow in your first yeah, I think the biggest challenge is that, that I see consistently in organizations is they don't represent their brand effectively in the market. And I think that's generally because their thought leadership positioning is lacking because they're generating content primarily on tactics. And what they're not doing is driving strategic thought leadership messaging and then cascading these core themes into the market. They're generally working from the bottom up and not those big themes down. And the bottom up gives you, yeah, it gives you blogs or it gives you an ebook or a white paper and it gives you the content that fuels the marketing engine. But they tend to be standalone and they don't follow a very specific and important strategic byline. When you do it from the top down and you have that strategic conversation with the market, it takes a while, but they tend to pay attention because those strategic topics address the critical things that are important to the audience that you're communicating with. When you go from the bottom up, you tend to talk about features, product. You tend to talk about what you want to say to the market as a vendor. And the market doesn't care. <laughs> they don't care what you have to say. They want to care. They want you to care about them. Mm-hmm. to help them solve their problems yeah. and to help them grow their business and to help them aspire to new levels where their staff is happy, their staff is retained. Because in our, in our space and generally on a global basis, the biggest challenge we all face is a lack of available people and qualified individuals to do the work. In home care in the United States, we're going to need 7.9 million home care workers by 2030. Mm. We have a massive labor shortage. Wow. And if you look at the demographics, the populations are aging. Mm. There's going to be fewer and fewer people to do that work and more people who need that care. You look in other industries like manufacturing, having people who are qualified to run you know, machinery, they almost don't exist. Think about you know when I was a kid, you grew up, Car broke, you, you tried to fix it. Nobody fixes cars anymore. They, and they also tend not to break, which is great. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of industries facing massive labor shortages. Yeah. And that's going to be something that we're going to have to solve tectonically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. All right, cool. So we call it the speed round. We'll edit it together swiftly if we have to, if you need time to think about it. But question number one, if your career is a movie, who plays you? I would like actually to ask other people that question because self-assessment is always a very dangerous thing. (laughs) 
uh, you know, would it be Vin Diesel or would it be Jack Nicholson or I don't know. Really don't know. And I'm not a big movie guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's like a self-assessment question. And I like, I'm I'm very cautious about self-assessment. That's great. That's great. No worries. Carrie, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) What's your favorite productivity hack or process, if you prefer? Process improvement. AI content generation. Been doing it. I was part of a beta program like back in 2018. Mm -hmm. I've led very big organizations with lots of product lines and produced a ton of high quality, high value content with very small and effective content teams. That's been like the the accelerant that I've poured on yeah. on every everything that I've done in the last, I would say, seven years. Fantastic. Next question. This is uh, first job, worst job. First job you ever had, worst job you ever had. You don't have to name company names if you don't want to, but I'd love to hear the story. Worst job I ever had. Uh, so I worked at a very young age. I was a dishwasher at an international house of pancakes, and I worked on Saturday nights, lied about my age. I was 12. I told them I was 16. And I had to clean the grease traps at four o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. That was the worst job. That was pretty bad. Yeah. Yep. Uh, best job? Uh, right now, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing at, uh, at Alaya Care. I, I've, had a, I've been extremely fortunate. In, in my professional career, I can honestly say I have not had a position where I've felt like it was not something that I learned immensely from or where I grew from and made friends with. I mean, I literally, people that I worked with over 30 years ago, I still get cards from and, you know, go to their kids' weddings and still am friends and keep in touch with them. That's awesome. The human relationships have persisted. I've always said that the companies go away, the the relationships persist. That's awesome. What keeps you up at night? Not a lot. I'm a championship sleeper. (laughs) Literally. Easy enough. So what's the last book you read? Well, right now I'm reading um, Look Homeward Angel by Tom Wolfe. Yeah. So I just saw the movie Genius and I love American literature. And I'm like, he died young. So, you know, he didn't have a lot of books. So uh, I was like, oh, he's a great American author. I've not read anything about. So I'm, I'm reading Look Homeward Angel. And he was a, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but I would recommend Genius. He was a very interesting guy. That's great. Check it out. So who's the most fascinating contact on your phone? You know, I'm not good at saving people's phone numbers. You know, when someone says, new It's phone, a process, who, Ben. Who is? That's me. I'm like, who is this? It's like, this is your mother. <laughs> put, your, put my number in your contact book, please. No. I would say my wife. She's the most interesting person in my life. Well done. There you go. She's, she's, uh, she's a badass. I like it. Uh, what's your favorite drink? I would say Manhattan. I'm a big bourbon guy. Really love bourbon. I like bourbon straight, but Manhattan is nothing's better than a Manhattan, you know, after Mm. a long day of work. Mm. And segue, what's your favorite bourbon? Uh, My favorite bourbon is Woodford Double Oaked. Good choice. Love that sauce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, Ben, I know that you're going to say that this is probably something best left to your friends or peers, but describe yourself in five words. We'll never quit. I'll take it. That's great. Mm -hmm. I economized. You did. Five. (laughs) I know you did. You did. I like it. Very efficient. Uh, Not AI driven. (laughs) what's the best compliment you've ever gotten uh you care you care i've had i've had a lot of people tell me i have good marketing methods and stuff like that but i think the the best compliments have been that people i I had a former employee who 
called me and said things weren't so great for her. And she said, you were the first senior executive that made me feel like what I did was important. Mm. And that really, that really deeply affected me. Mm. I'm about to hire them <laughs> again. Nice. That's great. Awesome. That's a common theme in my career. I mean, when I do move, I have a really great set of people who I want to work with and want to work with me. I've been able to stand up teams in very short periods of time that are often running on day one. And there's a lot of value in that. I've built a system with a bunch of different people that we know without even speaking to each other, what to do, how to tune digital, content, brand across the board. That's probably been one of the big values that I've been able to bring into every position. Sounds like a superpower. I heard an entire team in 60 days once when a CEO told me that he said, if I did it in six months, I said, I'll do it in 60 days. And he, he said, you'll never do that. I said, okay. Name that tune. And I did it. <laughs> That's awesome. And it worked. That's great. And it worked. Fantastic. Okay. Last one. Is there something you've dreamed of doing for a long time, but you haven't yet? And why? So I love to fish and my wife loves to fish and I want to fish the Great Barrier Reef. And I haven't done it because I need to take a lot of time and retire and do that and have the money. It's expensive. So that's mm-hmm. what I that's mm-hmm. what I want to do. Got it. Awesome. And we didn't ask you, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, is there a burning topic? Danny, do you want to ask that question? Yeah. And we can just close it out with this. So Ben, is there a, yeah. a burning topic, something, uh, you know, like a passionate theme in your life, something you want to talk about? Something's on your mind? Uh, yeah. So um, the, the, the real passion, and I've spent a lot of time in healthcare, is figuring out how our country doesn't go bankrupt and how all, a lot of countries don't go bankrupt and provide really, really poor care to their citizens. And that healthcare becomes a much better and more consistently delivered service to people. And that it becomes a univers- becomes universally accessible, and that the outcomes are a lot better at a lot lower cost. It's a big that's a big work passion for me, no doubt. That's a good one. On the personal side, I'm working towards retirement. Yeah, got it. And I want to retire well, right? So I'm getting there. Good for you. Thanks. Well, we're having a blast as we get to talk to people like you, up to big things. So fun. It's phenomenal. I Thank enjoyed you so it. much yeah. for making time. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much. Pleasure meeting you guys. Enjoy. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us increase the podcast's reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio, and podcast cover art by Andra Lazord.